Let's do an intro just for the podcast and then we'll just start talking about whatever comes to mind first. Okay, guys? Let's Not Be Lazy Filmmakers, the podcast where we try to make sense of the world of filmmaking in Canada. Episode 2, Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. We're here with Ezra Seuferman. He's a prolific filmmaker, photographer, was an artist in residence at a cannabis company. He's made dozens of films with titles like Posthumous Pickle Party and Cod Help Us. He's won awards, been on TV, and his latest film about winters in Montreal has 20,000 views on YouTube already. He's a director, a photographer, and a dozen other things. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me on, guys. Thrilled. Thanks for being here. Pleasure. So um, I guess we should start with uh, your your latest infamy, which is uh, Snowbeck. Montreal Snowbeck, or as I like to say, Montreal Snowbeck. It's a short film, five minutes long, just released it a couple of weeks ago. It's up on YouTube, and I'm really proud of it. It's uh, basically I set out to make a movie all about winter in Montreal with a special focus on uh, how the heck Montreal deals with all its snow. Because, you know, our winters last like six months over here, and we have snowstorm after snowstorm. And unlike some other cities that get paralyzed by the snow, we somehow manage to clear the streets in a few days and to get back to normal pretty quickly. And I wanted to document that process, but I wanted to do it in a very fun and enjoyable, simple way, visually. It's I call it a musical documentary. So there's no talking. There's no uh, subtitles or text or anything like that in the movie. Basically, there's an amazing song that I found by Montreal musician and hip-hop producer Josh so-called Dolgan. And Josh Dolgan's an old friend of mine, and he's done music for a lot of my movies. And I said, listen, man, I want to make this movie about winter in Montreal. Can I use a song of yours? He said, yeah, go through my catalog, whatever you, whatever you like, you know, use it. So I found a great song, and I set all this footage that I had shot of Montreal winters for the past, like literally seven years, last seven winters, I've been out walking the streets, freezing my tuchus off, uh, trying to get all this great stuff of Montreal winters. And I, yeah, I I set it all to music and made this five minute movie. And now uh, we're now up to like 25,000 people who have seen it online. It was on CBC television. It's on the CBC's website. Uh, It's been covered in all sorts of uh, news outlets across uh, Quebec, and uh, uh, I'm really happy that uh, Montreal Snowbeck has seen the light of day. Cool, As, Ezra, um, and, and maybe Evan, and you, you want to have some questions, but I would like to know how did you? Uh, sorry, my power just came back on there. That's why the camera angle hey. changed. <laughs> but uh, how did you um, come to the point in your life where you? Um, you're all, you've obviously been very successful um, as a filmmaker and as an artist, but you st- you don't seem to have grown tired of it. Where does this come from? This this energy and this this drive to create. What's what's your childhood? Where where did where did it all start? Well, basically, as a kid, I was very curious. Um, I was always trying to figure things out and trying to learn new stuff and to peer around corners and to adventure out through Montreal with my buddies, either on our bikes or on foot or taking the bus downtown as teenagers. 
I always wanted to learn more. So I was basically wandering around our city being this curious kid, and I would often take a camera with me. Um, I had a little 110 camera, which was these like long Kodak cameras. You put a little cartridge inside with film and you crank it up with your finger and then take these pictures and then get them developed. And there was something magical about that and something about preserving and documenting that I loved doing. Um, in high school, I made some short films with some friends. In 11th grade, I was elected uh, co-president of the student council and started getting involved in hosting assemblies and being in plays and kind of building up my confidence because I was a very shy kid, uh, always kind of stayed at the side of the room and held back. And then by the end of high school in 11th grade, I was out there in front of the whole school, standing on stage, cracking jokes and Wow. emceeing and hosting, making these movies. And that led to going to CEGEP, uh, like uh, kind of junior college here in Quebec at Dawson College, where I took some classes in media. Then I applied to NYU to study film and television production. And I was accepted there and spent uh, four years down in New York getting my undergraduate film and television Bachelor of Fine Arts. Um, and loved that experience. That's where I had a chance to start making short, more short films, learning how to write scripts. Um, and I also took this very uh, important photo class, just an introduction to photo. And the teacher, who is still a friend of mine, actually, he uh, his name is Daniel Kazimierski, or Kaz, was this uh, very inspiring uh, Polish-American guy kind of like uh, Robin Williams and Moscow and the Hudson, you know, like almost like a, a bumbling genius who is telling people like, you know, inspiring people. And he said, get out onto the streets, take your camera and tell stories in a single frame. And this is going to be very formative for you guys as students hmm. to tell stories, making short films, and then eventually feature films. Wow. So that was New York. And I haven't that's... stopped. I, I've made... <laughs> I was going to say, that's point. exactly what you did, Ezra. Yeah, I, I really haven't stopped. Uh, dozens and dozens, probably by now, like 100 short films. I've made probably about, I don't know, seven or eight hour-long films or you know television hour-long films that are about 45 minutes. I've made a feature documentary, which was on CBC television a few years ago. I've uh, made all sorts of webisodes. Um, and then photography, I haven't stopped walking the streets, whether it's New York, Los Angeles, Paris, London, wherever I go, whether it's for personal, family, business, um, or if like I just get lost and find myself in a city, I'm out there on the streets as much as I can with my camera, whether it's my iPhone or, you know, my uh, my bigger camera, my uh, right now I'm shooting with a Canon mirrorless camera. I'm out on the streets as much as I can, seeing that city, talking to people, taking portraits, doing street photography, and also wandering into little restaurants, bakeries. I'm a foodie too, so I love discovering food. And that's that's how it all started, just hitting the streets and taking a few classes. That's uh, That sounds like good advice to any filmmaker. Evan, what do you want? As what's your craziest uh, photography story? What's your craziest anecdote being out there? What's the craziest serendipitous? I mean, you know, as you know, okay. making docs, there's always serendipitous moments. What's your craziest street photography serendipitous moment? 
Well, I'm going to, this is, a, this is a bit of a departure. Um, and it doesn't involve a photograph. I was telling the story last night to someone, big record producer in Montreal. Um, I don't know if I can name names, but I'm happy to. His name is Howard Billerman. And he's produced stuff uh, sure. by all sorts of great local. Great drummer. Great drummer. Great drummer. Great drummer. Well. Yeah. Met him for the first time last night. It was someone who I read about and wanted to meet. And then I was introduced to him and someone said, come to dinner with me and Howard Billerman. Sure. So I said, Howard, you know, you had the opportunity to work with Leonard Cohen. You want to hear my Leonard Cohen story? He says, sure. So basically, this is a story that didn't involve a photograph. And I, when I finished the story, I told Howard, I wish I had thought about using a camera to take a picture at the end of this. But I was so caught up in what happened that I didn't. And the story is this. Basically, I was going to Los Angeles and I had a new iPod. This is back when the iPods first came out. I think it was like 2007 or so, roughly. And I went to my cousin's house and I said, hey, could you put on some of those MP3 things that they have now, like music? I, I, there was no iTunes back then. There was no, it was only like Napster or something. So he says, well, what do you want? And my cousin shows me what he has. And I didn't really like any of the stuff that he had. But then he said, I have some Leonard Cohen. I said, yeah, put on some Leonard Cohen. You know, I've never been a fan of Leonard Cohen up until that point. Never really listened to his music. Wasn't my thing. But he puts on three albums. I'm sitting on the plane going to LA, staring out the window, listening to these old Leonard Cohen albums. And I'm just like really moved and touched. And I say to myself, I get it. I understand now why people love Leonard Cohen so much. It was great stuff. Get off the airplane. I'm standing at the baggage carousel. And... uh just waiting for my luggage, you know? And then I see out of the corner of my eye, this woman walking by, big straw hat, dark sunglasses, kind of slinking her way across the airport, looking like a movie star. And in front of her, there's this, what looks like a bodyguard. And about five or 10 paces behind her, there's this guy walking. And I say, oh my God, holy, is that? And yes, sure enough, it was Leonard Cohen, probably coming off the same plane that I was on. Wow. I say, what are the chances? So I, I, I think like, who am I going to tell the story? Who's going to believe me? And then I say, I know who I'm going to tell the story to. I leave my car, my uh, luggage cart there, and I run after Mr. Leonard Cohen, and I say, excuse me, Mr. Cohen, Mr. Cohen, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm very busy, I, I can't talk. I say, Mr. Cohen, this won't take but a moment of your time. He says, all right, what is it? And I say, listen. I just got a new iPod. I had no music for it. I go to my cousin's house. I say, put on some music. He says, what do you what do you want? I say, I don't like anything you have. What else you got? He says, I have some Leonard Cohen. I say, put some on. I'll give it a chance. Mr. Cohen, I'm a nice young Jewish boy like yourself from Montreal. I just want to tell you, I heard three albums of yours on the airplane. Mazel tov. That was beautiful music. He says, oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. He's very touched, very happy. He had a little chuckle. I say, have a wonderful day and thank you so much. And he heads off into the sunset. And when I was telling Howard the story last night, I said, you know, I just realized I didn't take a selfie with me with Mr. Cohen. And that would have been the best photo coincidence, music coincidence of my life had I gotten the photo. Instead, it just makes for a great story. So things mm -hmm. like this, crazy coincidences happen to me all the time in life. I consider myself a bit of a coincidence engine. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? I see it as, sure, you could be lucky, you could be in the right place at the right time, but ultimately coincidences and the kind of magic moments of life, I believe, happen because we, all of us, 
need to keep our eyes and ears open. And when we do, we start to notice these connections. We start to put these things together. And that forms ultimately the web of our lives. And as a filmmaker and a photographer, I'm always trying to document these and turn them into stories, turn them into movies, turn them into photo series, photo exhibits. And now, over the past few years, this kind of brand of filmmaking that I've created called Music Photos. So a Music Photo is a short film that's halfway between a slideshow and a music video. I take photographs from my archive of photos, which is now like over, I don't know, 150,000 viable images. There's a lot of chazerai, a lot of junk that I've thrown out. I've reduced it to 150,000. And I have this playground of images to choose from that I set to music. So I hear an amazing song. I'll either write a letter to the artist or to the manager or record company and get the right to use it. And then I put a photo series or a bunch of photos to it. Or an artist or a band calls me and said, hey, I've seen your music photos. Can you do one for a new album, a new song on our album? So I've made about a dozen of these now, and they're on my YouTube channel, which is the Ezra Seuferman YouTube channel. People can go there and watch them. And it's my own way of telling stories through photographs, music, and short film. Mm -hmm. And it really ties everything together. This is a really good example of uh, you, Ezra, just... just um... Uh, part of your energy is you just got you just get out there on the street. Um, I'm realizing now, and that's that must be such a powerful part of your coincidence engine, getting out there on the street because, and and uh, and also it allows you to kind of remake yourself because one of the difficulties that filmmakers have, I think, is that they're used to old models of filmmaking, whereas you you seem to be kind of free from that. Yes, um, thank you for for reflecting that because you're right. When I leave my house, every day is another adventure. And I like to look at life as my movie and the streets as my movie. Um, a lot of filmmakers are movie buffs. You know, they come from a background of watching a lot of movies and studying film and getting into the nitty gritty of filmmaking and also film history. I kind of proudly consider myself not a film buff. I've seen probably fewer films Definitely fewer films than the average filmmaker, 100%. How dare you? Yeah, and and way fewer films than the average person. I don't like spending time in front of the TV or going to movies, to be honest. My movie and my education is the streets and talking to people and photographing people and coming up with stories out of of real life. So uh, I I spend my time doing that as much as I can. I, I try to walk these days over the past year. I think I've averaged about uh, seven or eight kilometers of walking a day. Wow. And I love it. It keeps me in good shape. It keeps me breathing, you know, the fresh air of Montreal. And the ideas come to me fast and furious, and I mark them all down. Uh, whenever I get a, an idea that I think is worth saving, I take out my phone, take out a piece of paper from my pocket. I always carry a pen with me and a little piece of paper. Um, and I jot it down. So that becomes part of my archives as well. All these uh, snippets of uh, notions, impressions, reflections, um, inspirations that come to me when I'm out there in the world. I think uh, part of your go ahead. Sorry, no. And part of your process is also you also do the editing as well. You're a one-stop shop as far as part of your processes. 
These days, I do a lot of the editing myself for my short films and for my music photos, yes. However, when I do bigger films, uh, anything like over 10 minutes, all my longer form projects have all been edited by outside editors. Um, often um, recurring collaborators. For example, uh, Mika Goodfriend, the editor of Man of Greece and Three Weeks and Cod Help Us and a bunch of my other films and a lot of my earlier shorts. So he's my first cousin and he was the editor on a lot of my projects. Then he got busy with his own films and his own photography. So we haven't worked together in a while, but he's one of the editors I worked with. Um, on a current project I'm doing called Beyond the Plate with Heidi Small. She's the producer and the host of that show. It's all about amazing chefs in Montreal. That's on YouTube, Beyond the Plate. Uh, the editor of that is Tegan Lance. Uh, she's an incredible editor and has done, uh, I think we've done like 34 episodes now of wow. Heidi's show, Beyond the Plate. Uh, but for my own stuff these days, I've taught myself how to use Final Cut Pro. And I love just loading photographs, loading footage into that, uh, setting it to music, or uh, you know, if there's no music, cutting it up and turning it into something fun. That sounds. Fantastic. Oh, you had a question. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. I was just. Uh, it was more about uh, just just the same theme. I think just um, that um, a lot. I, I love how you say that you're not uh, necessarily a film buff because I find a lot of people, creative people, they feel like they have to. Um, uh, sort of pay homage to that to that history but um if you do that too much it kind of takes all the joy out of creating because you're trying to emulate something you've seen before and so i i find yeah. that very refreshing to hear that you that you're you're free from that yeah i mean look some people are film buffs and they make incredible movies uh it's just not my style and when people say who's your favorite filmmaker who's your favorite photographer to be honest often i i'm at a loss because I don't know. I don't look to the outside too much for inspiration from other filmmakers. Sure, there's been incredible films I've seen and filmmakers I've met and inspiration, but um, I, you know, I try to respect my own vision and to try to cultivate that through interactions with real people, so to speak, on the streets. Right. right. Cool. Do you do you have a favorite project that you've made? Is there something that you you love? I mean, I know you've done like short, long, feature, I mean, short and feature docs, and also a lot of photography. Is there a particular project that you're most proud of, or that's 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 very kind of personal to you? Yeah, among, that stands above the, the others. There's a uh, two things pop to mind. One is super short, and one was a television hour long film. I'll start with the short one. So when I was filming a documentary that I made with Adam Steinman. Um, back in 96, we filmed it in New York City. The movie was called Tree Weeks. And it's about the Quebecers who sell Christmas trees down on the streets of New York City. And when we were filming that movie, I woke up after we were done shooting. This was now after Christmas time. And it was like the day before New Year's. And I woke up and I said, ah, I have an idea. And this literally just popped into my head. The title popped into my head. The concept popped in my head. And I said, Broadway New Year's Day has a nice ring to it. I'm going to make a movie tomorrow on New Year's. I'm going to walk all of Broadway tomorrow. I'm going to bring my camera, my video camera. And I'm going to film like a few frames of video at every few street corners and make a time lapse. 
So I did. I jumped on the subway on New Year's Day, 19, uh, 2017, January 1st, 2017. Went to the top of Manhattan, took got off the subway, and I started walking. And I said to myself, as I started walking, all I'm going to eat today is sesame seed bagels and orange juice. And I'm going to go as far as I can down Broadway doing this cockamamie concept. And I did. Every few blocks, when I saw something cool, I would go start, stop with the trigger, the shutter on the camera. And I got basically like a half a second at every intersection or two. And I walked and I walked and I walked and I ate sesame seed bagels and orange <laughs> juice. And I walked and I, when I got tired, I sat down and I more frames. By the time I made it down to Wall Street, about seven or eight hours later, I pressed stop and rewind on the camera. And the little mini DV tape inside the, the old Sony camcorder I had rewound to the beginning of the tape. I pressed play. And lo and behold, there was the movie. Broadway New Year's Day was there. It didn't have music yet. And it took years to find the right music to put this stop motion movie to. But it was three and a half minutes of Broadway just whizzing by. All this, these images of cars and taxis and buildings and people crossing the street and birds and puddles. And that was one movie that remains a favorite of mine to this day. And if you Google my name, like Ezra Soiferman, Broadway New Year's Day, you will probably find it on a site called eGuiders. E like Ezra, Guiders. It's an outside site. A friend of mine started it, Mark Ostrick, and he hosted it on there and it's still there to this day. So you can watch that. The other movie that comes to mind when you asked if I have a favorite or something close to my heart is Man of Greece. So Man of Greece was filmed, it was the next um, kind of full-length movie I made after Three Weeks. It was shot in 98, 99, released in 2000. And it's Man of Greece. Greece is spelled like cooking Greece because it's about Tony Koulakis, the late, great, legendary chef of Montreal's famous Cosmos Breakfast Restaurant or Cosmos Snack Bar, as it's officially called. It's a place in my neighborhood in NDG, Notre Dame de Grasse in Montreal. And it's a tiny little greasy spoon. It's got, um, when I filmed, they had 11 stools there. Now they're down to like eight stools because they took one away because it was too close to the cash. And they took another one away because it was broken. It's a tiny little counter. And you sit there and it's like a little theater between the family that used to work there that I documented and the chef who I documented, Tony, and the customers who come in chatting, arguing, making friends with each other. It's a just a wonderful little microcosm of our world. And that movie, which was released in 2000 and played at film festivals, it played on, I think, eight different broadcasters across Canada. They all wanted it. Um, it, it follows Tony's life in the restaurant, but also I went and documented his first trip back home to Greece, ultimately his first vacation in 30 years. And I went back there with him and had an amazing time. I was there with him about a week or so. And uh, what can I say? The, the movie was is uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, it uh, is still, I still get emails to this day. Can I buy a copy of it? Where can I see it? Um, and it really just kind of 
it, it, it touched a nerve in people because of Tony's work ethic, because of the way he was so animated on screen. He, he would ham it up for the camera. And uh, to this day, it, it just remains something that I'm really proud of. And, uh, you know, hopefully people will continue to see it. Amazing. The um, it, it kind of goes to show you that filmmaking is not just like, a, it's not just a business or something like that. Filmmaking is just, it's a part of life. It's something that as time passes you by, it's uh, you've gathered these experiences and you yeah. had your camera along and you put them on, on film. So that's uh, that um, I know Evan and I have had experiences like that too. Sure. Like films we've made have been really special to us. And you say, you know, it's not just a business. We're obviously, we're Canadian documentary filmmakers. <laughs> it's definitely not a business. Right. Which is a good question. How do you, uh, how do you survive Ezra? Uh, well, um, great question. Basically, I am hired to make uh, sometimes corporate videos, music videos. I sell my photographs. I sell signed prints, framed prints of my photographs. I'm hired to do pho uh, photographic shoots, uh, sometimes some events. I'm not a wedding photographer. As a kid, I was like, I don't want to uh, land up being a wedding photographer. <laughs> I have nothing against wedding photographers. I love weddings, but I... And I, I actually love shooting weddings, but only when it's for like a really close friend or a relative. And they say, listen, can you help us out and maybe right. take a few pictures? I'm like, that's, that's my background shooting weddings. So, okay, cool. I get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome stuff, but I want to get out on the streets and you can't really shoot weddings out on the streets too much. Mm -hmm. um, but I love shooting weddings because I hate sitting at weddings and just being a spectator. Oh yeah. So it's so much fun to be in the moment and capture all that. And I actually read and heard through your podcast, uh, your background that you, you do it in your own way too. You know, it's, it's like, we all have to have our own special style and put our own mark and use our voice on what we do. So um, one of the ways that I do that is to tell people, look, you know who I am, you know, I make these quirky documentaries, you know, I have my own vision, my own way of looking at things. That's what you're going to get. You're not going to get anything average for me you're going to be surprised hopefully you're going to love it um if you are behind me i'm your man if you're not that's cool I can, i'm happy to recommend you to someone else who i think can do the job better but when it clicks it really clicks and i have hmm. fun doing it and people are happy watching it and um it's it, it all works out but another that, way oh, go ahead. That, that i that i supplement i've supplemented my income is by kind of expanding into another passion that I've had over the years, which is cannabis. Back in 1993, when I was at NYU, I teamed up with Mark Ostrich, a colleague, and uh, now a colleague, and then a classmate of mine, and we made our thesis film together called Pressure Drop, all about an old Jewish Zaidi, a grandfather, who gets glaucoma, refuses to have an operation, and the doctor says, look, the only other thing that might help your eyes, marijuana. Ah, dope. And it's all about how this this uh, Zadie gets into this outpatient self-help group to treat his eyes with cannabis. It ended up becoming, we didn't know it at the time, it became the first, the world's first medical marijuana movie. Wow. Because at the time there was lots of Cheech and Chong and there was skits about smoking marijuana and marijuana was a, a hippie thing. But there and was what year was this? What year? What is it? 1993. 1993. So very far from being legalized. Yes. Uh, I think it was first legalized in about 96 in California. 
Um, and in Canada, medical marijuana was legalized in 2000. Mm -hmm. And in um, Canada, recreationally in 2017. So we made this movie. And while we were making it, a friend of friend of ours named Zed Starkovich, who's a sound uh, or a music, um, what do you call it? A music supervisor in Los Angeles now on big shows. He came to me and he said, Ez, you're making this movie about marijuana. Do you know about hemp? He's like, uh, the rope stuff? He's like, hemp, yeah, the rope stuff. But you know how much what it can do it's the world's most versatile environmentally friendly huge potential crop that's out there you should learn about this here's a book and he showed me this book by this guy named jack herrer jack herrer is the dude who literally wrote the book or wrote the bible on hemp i read it cover to cover i couldn't believe what i was reading it's all this history and culture and stuff about hemp and i said wow why are more people not knowing about this, not wearing this stuff, not eating this stuff, not taking hemp uh, as medicine? Hmm. This is back, again, 1993. So I started buying my first hemp T-shirt in Toronto. I found a hemp T-shirt. Then I found some hemp pants. Over the years, my entire wardrobe became hemp. I started eating hemp seeds and hemp oil and hemp protein powder every day started buying hemp paper, hemp towels, hemp bags, hemp shoes. Now, basically, I am, as I like to say, hemp to toe in the stuff. I'm complete. Uh, I'm a vegetarian, but I put hemp on everything. That's my protein source. So back to the question of supplementing my income, when marijuana started to become a thing in Canada back in about 2014, 2015, they were talking about legalization. I heard about this company that had just bought the old Hershey's chocolate factory in Smith's Falls, Ontario. And I read about how they want to get a marijuana license and they want to grow marijuana in this old Hershey's chocolate factory. And I said, that is a story. That is going to be big. That's going to become the roots of marijuana for Canada. Just like Roots Clothing is like, oh, it's a Canadian thing. It's big. And they sure enough got their license. They became the biggest company out of the gate. I wrote a letter very early on to their CEO and introduced myself, told them I'm a big, big hemp fan, big cannabis fan up in Montreal and established a rapport with the, with this guy. Then I started making another documentary called Grass Fed, mm -hmm. all about edibles that landed up on CBC television. And it was about a comedian who had sciatica, Mike Patterson, and he started taking edibles. And I followed him through the whole process of basically healing his body, turning his life around, getting off the floor, out of pain with edible medical cannabis. And part of that movie, I followed him out where his prescription was grown in um, Smith's Falls, Ontario, to the Tweed factory. Lo and behold, the company loved my movie. They loved being featured in the film. And the guy said to me, listen, if there's any way we could ever help you, you let us know. You did a wonderful job profiling, profiling our company. Just our door is always open. And I said, funny you should mention it. Check your mailbox tomorrow. I'm, I'm sending you something. And I sent him a proposal that had I'd been working on for a couple of weeks that occurred to me one night while editing Grass Fed uh, just, just before I released it. And it was a pitch to become the world's first artist in residence at a cannabis company, Brilliant. at a marijuana company. 
And wow. I said, I want you guys to be the world's first marijuana company with an artist in residence. And I'm your guy to be that artist. This amazes me, Ezra, how you're so fluid in, in creating these relationships. And this is the key. That. This is the key to his, this is the genius of the promotion. This leads into that inevitable question about how the heck he he's able to network and source all of this stuff. Yeah. What is, yeah. The, what is this? What is your secret? Without... Well, good, good question. The secret I think is being myself. Hmm. Honestly, it's really living up to my own standards of being always curious, always meeting new people, coming up with new ideas, marking them down, developing them, getting feedback, and then putting the best ones or the most viable ones into action as soon as I can or saving them on the back burner until there's an opportunity and then right. putting them into action. But but you're also you're sincere and you're also a doer, right? Because there's a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers, a lot of a lot of lazy filmmakers. Yes, like lazy. Well, whoa, <laughs> hey, whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. It's the name of the podcast. <laughs> I realize that, but doesn't mean I were that was a, that was a bit tongue. There's irony there. Try to there's be, irony. Relax. I'm being ironical, too. But also. um, <laughs> but how? Oh, now I've lost my train of thought. You really got my back up there with that. Okay, so. I, I want to talk anyway. I, 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 no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. But anyhow, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's it. I, I do stuff. I get stuff done. I, yeah. I'm proudly that's prolific. Um, prolific almost to a fault, mm. to be honest, because I have. What does that so, mean? So many ideas that sometimes just the production of the ideas gets in the way of the doing because right. new stuff coming all the time. And I have so many different projects on the go um, that it can get difficult really picking which project to advance on, or I'm advancing on a project and then I get sidetracked with something else. And then I work on that. And is that what But that's whoops, sorry. Yeah. Yes. You have to prioritize what's being monetized though, right? No? Uh, presumably, hopefully. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I do and sometimes it works out and I'm able to okay. you know keep the uh the roof over my head. And other times it's like a roller coaster. You know, there's lean years for sure, and there's better years. The, back to the uh the tweed marijuana story. Right, yes. It, the guy said, We love your idea and we want to do this. But we're we're so busy now getting started. You have to be patient. I'm like, all right, no problem. So that's another thing that I do. I'm kind of relentless when I believe in something. And I want it to happen. Mm. As long as I can remember that it's happening, I will doggedly follow it till it's completed. So I just kept following up with him every few weeks. Hey, just checking in, wondering if you had any further thoughts. How's it going? Always polite, but always there. You know, some people like they're testing you. Are you going to follow up? Is it that important for you to do this with me? Mm -hmm. So in this case, I could tell that he genuinely loved the idea. And I I took, I had faith in his word. Um, sure enough, after six months of following up, he says, all right, Ezra, did you see our press release this morning? I was like, I saw it. Sure enough, that morning they had announced Tweed, signs a deal with Snoop Dogg to distribute his cannabis across Canada um, once legalization happens. Snoop Dogg. And he says, Ezra, now that we got Snoop Dogg out of the way, you're our next order of business. We're wow. going to sign an agreement. Right we up there next to Snoop Dogg. Right there behind Snoop Dogg. Nice. fine with me. No problem. I don't have to jump in line or hide FM. Anyhow, because, you're, because you were enthusiastic and you were persistent. Yes. Had I given up and not followed up, they would have forgotten. They had a million things going on. 
literally mm. these guys you, were the rock stars of the cannabis industry you don't Amazing. find that exhausting i find that that work absolutely exhausting and that's I like 90 percent of it do you just you just nailed put the nail on the head of that you don't the find thing, it exhausting no the thing that i find exhausting and and that i don't like doing is raising money right <laughs> that's, that's writing kind of budgets writing budgets <laughs> and going out for investors now it's a hugely important part and i basically have to do it for most of my projects but i think i figured the secret if you make projects that cost nothing to make that have high concepts and that are easy to promote and to get out there and can also be sold you could just barely eke out some money to get this done without having to go and beg from government funding agencies mm. so because ah, i've done but, my share of that but, but it's terrible i we you know this is that would be we can do a third podcast like therapy <laughs> session about this uh I, you're gonna give me post-traumatic stress if we get into it i i, I hear you i know but yeah. how do you you bring up an excellent point uh in what you just said which is the promotion aspect of it so talk to me i mean Obviously, your personality, your doggedness, your likability, this is part of it. But there's there's obviously also a technical part of the promotion. So what is your secret of self-promotion? Time out, guys. Time out. Whoops. Whoops. We, are, we have less than a minute on the free version of Zoom, which we're using. because. <laughs> so, so we're going to get back to that question after we exit and rejoin. Perfect. Okay. Ah. I will rejoin. Okay. Okay. I'm back. Great. Okay. So we'll wait for Evan and then we'll uh, we'll get to the Perfect. answer. I'm also recording a simultaneous audio just in case the sound. Oh, you're so smart. I am also. I am too. Good. And I don't if think... you want to sync it up yeah. later to get better. I would audio. love that. I, I don't think Evan is. I didn't. Uh, talk about a, talk about a podcast him. that's rough around the edges. Wow. It's okay. We're, we're going to cut it out. Nobody will know. Uh, Nobody will know that we don't have the full it has, its, it has its charm. We should keep it in. But, but uh, Ezra, that's the. Uh, that's to me is, you know, as someone who also, you know, makes films, I'm, I'm fascinated by that aspect of, uh, of how you do it. I think it's genius. So please so enlighten, I, enlighten us. I like to keep things close to, close to home, so to speak. So I've learned to, I mean, in university, I was taught how to film, how to direct, how to write. It was cross training in making movies. Now, I realized early on that I can't also edit the movies. Why? Because back then we were editing on Steenbecks, 16 millimeter editing tables. And we were editing on three quarter inch videotape decks, which were these giant VCRs, which you were clunky to use. And also I couldn't uh, afford to buy one. The, the things used to cost $50,000 a machine or something like that, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm gonna shoot my movies and I'm going to write my movies if they needed any writing in the documentary. So they didn't usually need that much writing, but I'm always going to find outside editors. But then I taught myself how to edit. So that saved some money and I film my stuff. So I can go out and shoot a movie and take as long as I want to make it um, and not have to pay people, yeah. which is cool, but it's also a bit of a lonely thing unless mm. you happen to really enjoy your own company, which I do. <laughs> Lucky for me, I don't mind being out on the streets on my own. I don't mind sitting at a computer myself. 
So a lot of the work I do is fairly solitary. And then I get feedback, feedback from people because I always value feedback of both other filmmakers, family, friends, and complete strangers, getting some, you know, some test, test uh, feedback. Then I make some changes to it. And then I get out there and do what you were wondering, like, how do I self-promote? I'm proud of the work I do. I generally come out of the editing room. And I'm like, I want to show this. I want people to see this. And unless I get off my behind and get out there and hustle it, no one is going to do it for me. So after 30 years in this business, I'm still my own, essentially my own distributor, my own producer, my own, all of these things, but I'm also my own PR person. And that comes with its benefits because I have all these contacts that I've made over the years of reporters who have done stories. So whenever I need to promote something, I go to my address book on my computer and I type in the word press. And in, in notes of every single reporter I've ever talked to, I always write the word press. And I also write, met them on July 15th, 2016 at this festival, met them downtown, cousin of this person, friend of that person. So I keep detailed notes on every single person I've met. And when I type in the word press, boom, like a hundred people come up in my address book. So this and, is the reason you're so good at this is because it's it's a part of your lifestyle. This these yeah. relationships. Do you, uh, as do you re do you reference that when you contact them? If you think it's like it's a it's a it's a, someone that you met long ago and you want them to sort of promote something of yours, do you will you mention hey we met? Will you yes. refer to your notes and write it in the message to them? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Of course. Brilliant, brilliant. Really personal and yeah. like, hey Fred, um, we met at a film festival seven years ago when you were there giving your speech, and I talked to you for a moment afterwards. Just wanted to let you know I'm, you know, up in Montreal where I'm based, and I just finished a new film on snow, and you had been giving a talk on snow, and and I, I reconnect. As Wait, as you as you, why don't you just work as a publicist? As forget this filmmaking stuff, just eh. like hire someone as a publicist. Are you kidding me? I want to hire me and Noah. Want to hire you as a publicist? I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to send you an email. I'm hiring you as a publicist. That's fine. <laughs> I, I'll help you out, but I'm not going to do that full time because full time I, one year. Just I one have year. a no, no. I have a compulsion, a consumption to make movies, to make pictures, do photo series. All that stuff, I will never stop doing that. And I love making short films because they're so direct and so quick, generally speaking. I mean, my latest movie took seven years to make. Um, but I just want to finish up that thought about the Tweed company. Go for it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so they <laughs> hired you and your Tweed. <laughs> and basically, these guys said to me, look, we're giving you stock in the company. We're giving you money for equipment. We're giving you money to travel. And we're going to pay you a monthly stipend. We want you to be our artist in residence, just like wow. you suggested. Great. Give us give us the outline, Ezra, of what you want to do. So I wrote the contract. I I basically dreamed this up one night, pitched it to them, got carte blanche to do it, and spent the best year of my life traveling the world, going to like 12 different cities and several different countries, doing whatever art project I wanted on whatever subject I wanted. And I got behind-the-scenes access to the world's coolest grow rooms. I got to photograph Snoop Dogg several times backstage and on stage. I got to meet legends in the cannabis industry and to delve into my passion of why cannabis is the most versatile and awesome plant, God's greatest vegetable, for God's mm. sakes. Um, I got to do that, and that helped support me for that one year. And then I got rehired by the company to be a business development person for their 
uh, hemp division and for their doing more photography for them. And little me, you know, documentary filmmaker me became, um, you know, someone working in the cannabis industry doing art. What I like to call bringing art to cannabis, bringing cannabis to art. I kind of wrote my own ticket in it. Amazing. And that was one of the ways that I helped support myself for, for four or five, six years uh, recently. Are you still involved with them? Oh, not directly. No, my contract Please. ended. I still have a couple of friends who work there. I still love the company, but I'm not involved directly. From pressure drop to Snoop Dogg's entourage. Like... Exactly. But wait a minute. I have a question, and it <laughs> relates back to your it relates back to your Leonard Cohen um, sure. thing. Um, I want to know if you got a, a selfie with Snoop Dogg. I didn't get a selfie, but I did get a few shots of him, and I did talk to him a couple of times. I said, we have a mutual friend, this and that. And he says, yeah, man, great to meet you, great to meet you. And my proudest moment was when he walked into the Tweed Visitor Center at the old Hershey's Chocolate Factory, and there's all sorts of reporters and executives and big shots there. And he walks in, and the first thing he says, I hear you guys sell hemp. Where's the hemp at? And they say, oh, right over here, Mr. Snoop Dogg. And they take him over to a rack with all this hemp clothing. And it was me who hooked up that deal. It was me who told Tweed, guys, you got to sell hemp clothes. What's up with that? Here's this company in Amsterdam called Hoodlam. They're now called Fresh Hemp. And you got to carry this stuff in your visitor center. And so they did. And then one day Snoop walks in and that's what he wanted. So that was my proudest moment. Better than a selfie. Just knowing that Snoop Dogg is into hemp too. And I helped to uh, procure his hemp haberdashery uh, materials. Awesome. From Leonard Amazing. Cohen to Snoop Dogg. That's what yeah. brings, uh, it, brings it full circle. As I have to ask you a question. I, um, you mentioned earlier uh, how fed up, we all are fed up with navigating the, uh, the financing industry when it comes to independent film documentary budgets. Yep. I mean, uh, that part of it is important. We have to do. Yep. But the, the grant writing is just, it's like, it's, it's, it's hellish. Yeah. And, it's created in a way in this country. I mean, thankfully, at least we have it, but it's created in a way where it's creating dividing and conquer and competition. Yeah. But yet that's not your personality, right? You're not, you don't look at other filmmakers as competition. You look at it, you look at them as connection and as opportunity to link up. And as friends. Yeah. As collaborators or. Do you find that difficult sometimes? Or is that like how, like I, there's a part I... of me that it's competitive. There's a competitive, there's a vigilance, but I yeah. see, you know, you started Montreal Film Group. You're very much out there. Bringing people together. Yeah, and I've stopped applying for Canadian grants and Quebec grants, to be totally honest, because I got busy with the cannabis stuff and I had a little extra pocket money to make my own films. Um, so for now, I haven't recently applied. Um, and also when I was applying back in the day, I got a couple at the beginning and then I, I struck out a few times. It, it didn't work out and I got really frustrated. Hmm. So look... We're lucky that there is money, that there is a system for grants and for investments in Quebecer and Canadian films. But to be perfectly honest, I just I, I took a step aside from it because the competition, the scarcity of money, uh, the onerous, uh, difficult, the timetables, the the hundreds of pages, the tax credits, the uh, it's it's beyond me. So yeah. one day, hopefully, I will have uh, my own investment fund or pot of money that I could dole out to filmmakers simply with great ideas and a little one or two page viable plan. And I will say, 
Go for it. Here's ten thousand bucks. Go for it. Here's fifty thousand dollars. Hopefully, one day that that'll happen. That's a dream of mine. We'll definitely be shaking there, you down for that. <laughs> and there's definitely the one of the reasons that I kind of had to become a producer, or we became producers by default, yeah. is because I just got fed up with all of my my more ambitious, bigger projects getting locked into these lights, into these um, into these options that I had. I couldn't do anything about, and they weren't doing anything with them. They yeah. were just optioning projects, and they were being put away on ice for a year, two years. Yeah. And I was nothing was happening. So now, you, you mentioned that the challenges with the, with the financing, but there's also, you know, producers who grab projects, option them, and yeah. frankly, don't do anything with them. Yeah, you you gotta, as I've said from the beginning, if you want to make films, you gotta make films. Period. Figure out any way you can to actually make it yourself and with your team that you build. We can't do it on our own, and I, I don't want it to come across like, oh, Ezra Sorvin, he does everything on his own. I don't. I do a lot of the shooting. I do the, a lot of the editing, but there are people who help along the way in so many different ways, including being the subjects of my films. And I'm so grateful for those people to share their lives. The the number of people who I've had the opportunity to interact with, to share with, to tell their stories uh, is amazing. So I don't do this on my own. I, I don't take any of it for granted. I'm, I'm so grateful for the creativity that I've been blessed with from from my parents, from my DNA, from my ancestors, from my own inner spark that just is kind of incessant. I'm so grateful for that. And uh, I'm grateful for you guys for inviting me on today. And uh, I have to, I, unfortunately, I have to go because I have a an important meeting at the Snowden Deli. We'll meet you there. Where, are you, you going to have like a bagel? Are you going to have like a bagel and press cottage cheese? What are you going to have there? Sesame seed bagel. Well, sesame uh -huh. seed bagel and press cottage cheese. What are you having? Tell me uh, what's, what's... I'm not a cottage cheese fan, and okay. uh, I'm going to probably have a salad with a scoop of egg salad, chopped egg on top. Okay. Last time I was there, I said uh, I was telling the people at the table, I, "I'm vegetarian. There's not a lot to eat here, but there's some stuff. I'll probably just get you know a salad with with a uh, chopped egg on top." And there was a gasp. The waitress comes over and she says, what do you have? I said, well, I'm a vegetarian, so I'm going to get a salad with a scoop of chopped liver on top. It's going to be perfect. Silence at the table. Everyone's looking at me like, what did you just order? It's always a filmmaker. Chopped liver. So it's going to be, it's going to be a chopped egg salad, not chopped liver. Well, we need to do a part two at some point. So uh, there's still lots to discuss. So, yeah. Anytime. Yeah, a a real pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, guys. Good luck with your films. Good luck to all your listeners with their films. And uh, as I like to say, do good things with great people and um, enjoy it all. Thanks, Ezra. Thanks, Ez. Bye-bye. Talk soon. Talk Bye. soon. Evan, stay on for a Wait, minute. Stay on. Let's take a screenshot. Hang on. I got yeah. it. Four. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, ready? We got it. Big smiles. One, two, not so, not so. No, I tone it down. There we go. <laughs> One, two, three. We got it. Amazing. Bye, guys. Bye, Ezra. Take care, Ezra. Thank you. Talk soon. Thank you. Hang on. Boom. Leave. Bye. So, um, Evan, why don't we do yes. like a little debrief uh, for the podcast? For sure. What did you think I just wanted to let you know, let's not be lazy filmmakers. There's notes from uh, from Robin left comments on the, this week's video. Let's talk about that later. <laughs> uh, you know, you, I, to, you I, had uh, to bring work into it. So well, you had to bring the money lazy. aspect. Let's not be lazy filmmakers. I know, but you know um, what? Let's what? not be poor. Let's not be poor filmmakers. Well, you know, sometimes you have to be poor. That's the, that's one of the takeaways from what Ezra was doing. The reason he's not poor is because he's just super, super friendly and and persistent. But, 
but what if, um, what if we're not super friendly? I'm not super friendly. I'm I'm I'm, I'm, relen- I'm relentless. You're relentless. I'm you're, relentlessly unfriendly. That's right. You're you're you have a competitive streak, <laughs> and that's what, something that he seems to maybe not have. He has none of it. It's it's fascinating to me. It's yeah. it's quite. He he he. So he's got the dogginess, which is brilliant. We, you know, you and I have that. We have we kind of have that dogginess too. But he has a well, dogginess. Do. I don't. I'm 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 one of these lazy filmmakers. I just want okay, to sit well, behind the camera and make beautiful things. I don't want to actually have to deal with people. You know. Okay. Well, that's what that's where we create our balance together. That's right. Yeah. So I, I can relate to him on that level for sure. The the dogginess, but he he really. And this is something that you talk about as well, which is sort of a putting out this positive energy and this collaborative energy, and then it comes back to you, comes back mm-hmm. to come back to that person. So I'm I admire that in him because I have more of a of this competitive streak, where I feel that um, that there's some there's there's someone there's another filmmaker who is um, who wants a slice of that pie or wants that you know there's eight slots available with that broadcaster yeah and there's, have, there's have, not a very big pie in canada we yeah. don't have a lot of pie here even smaller in quebec right being especially even, yeah being anglophone in quebec that's a tiny pie and, that, and that's and yes it's an absolutely microscopic oh, pie and geez, it's why over the, and it's why over the years that i've also made french films and or i've made uh films access films on certain communities a.k.a. the Jewish community, which mm-hmm. which French broadcasters have a fascination with. Right. And being being fluently bilingual, I've been able to sort of I've been able to sort of do that sometimes, whether it's to produce or to direct. But he uh, he's just this jovial dude, right? He's been he's just collaborative and jovial. And he's very and the um, joy, and, and the it, joy that he gets from this from it still after even he's not he's not he hasn't been worn down by the process. Right. And he's also well, I mean, he has been, but he decided to go this route huh. where he's jovial and collaborative and he's very meticulous about about uh, his contacts. And I'm right. sure it started off very, very small and it's been built over 30 years because he's, when you look at, if you follow him on Facebook, there's like a brilliant kind of like self-promoting uh, kind of machine in place where he just sort of will post something and then there's like, hundreds of likes and then it's just it goes on to mm-hmm. it goes to youtube it goes to he makes it probably available for streaming certain projects and he does a lot of what we do he does he, he has to do various different kinds of, of projects community projects but he has more than you and me mm-hmm. he has really this um this uh this uh, i don't even know how to describe it this kind of machine in place yeah. where he can really put stuff out there right away but the machine is interesting because it's sort of a less is more machine it's mm. it's just him promoting stuff that he really likes you know like there's no um there's it, it, there's no like social media person who takes care of his 15 accounts and um he pays you know ten thousand dollars a month there's nothing like that he's, so... he's, he's, he's he's totally streamlined it over the years i mean he's he's perfectly adapted to go into the whole new streaming world yeah and it's and he's he's totally honest about it too he's not he's he's strategic yes but i mean he does what he likes right so it's like it it's almost like he's designed for this new world he's entirely he's absolutely designed for this new world yeah he's entirely designed for this new world that's why i I was trying to lure him away to be our publicist for a year yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't do it maybe for a week we can get him at some point but he um that's why i think we should follow up with part two so that we can get to the genesis of this montreal film group which was yeah we didn't even talk about that we'll bring him back at a later we'll bring him back at a later date i I don't know if it's um, even still going but that was a big thing uh back in like oh for sure for sure it competed with 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 doc doc the uh the uh 
the documentary, uh, what is, what is DOC? DOC is the, the right. documentary support group of Quebec, or right. Canada, I should say, sorry. So for, for listeners, the Montreal Film Group was exactly what it sounds like. It was a place, uh, they would have events and people would meet and sank a set and they would uh, eat cheese and talk to each other or whatever. And they had other but, stuff too. But it wasn't just that. They have their own, he had his own website and you can send well, your there. you can send your links in, your projects in, your, your, your premieres, your broadcast premieres, your in-person premieres, mm-hmm. and he would promote it to the, all of the members who were following that page and you, you would get email updates. Wow. It was extraordinary. It was yeah. uh, it was he was doing a great job, and I think that him putting out that real positive energy came has come back to him. People are very very supportive of his work. Will will distribute his work. Will talk about his work. Help him create a, a buzz. Mm-hmm. And he's a, a great example of uh, of someone who has always been open and collaborative. Mm-hmm. And he sent me. He has sent me. Oh he sent me projects over the years. Projects that he didn't think that he could handle. He has sent me uh, those those ideas the people that were behind the ideas uh who pitched him and he couldn't do it he would so he'd send these pitches to me and i had an opportunity to sort of evaluate um and he's also been very supportive of our films he loved uh, kosher mm-hmm. love and return of the love rabbi and he was nice enough to to send personal notes about that so uh there's a lot to learn from that from that guy i think so yeah yeah, yeah it was really it was actually inspiring uh listening to him talk because uh, I, I think uh, I find it overwhelming promoting promoting our films and uh, and all the like social all the social media that you're supposed to do and all this stuff to to get eyeballs. But basically, the eyeballs he's already got because he's been building it up over years, which makes me want to go back in time and tell my younger self to stop being such a hermit and uh, you know reach out to more people. Well, we have an opportunity now with what we're doing to sort of follow that model a little bit, and we'll see where we go with it. I would be curious to know. I didn't. It's one thing we didn't look at. Maybe you did. I would love to see how many subscribers he has on his YouTube channel. If, if Snowbank got twenty thousand hits, I'm curious to know how many actual subscribers he has because that would be monetized too if he had a, a significant amount of subscribers. Sure, but I mean, it's um, not a lot of money on YouTube that they pay you, uh, unless you're like really uh, up there. So, I. I'm sure he's getting. I'm sure he's paying his bills um, through other ways. I don't yeah. think it's from YouTube. Someday you're going to have to ask me about my Leonard Cohen stories. Yeah, my series of my series of misses, near misses with Leonard Cohen. Oh well, it's even more. It's even more. It's even funnier. Did you get anymore. a selfie? I uh, I never got a. Uh, no, I didn't. But Fred, my ex producer, Fred did. Fred. Oh yeah. He uh, he showed. Oh, anyway, I have so many Leonard Cohen stories. It begins. My Leonard Cohen stories begin with when there used to be the old Phoenix vegetarian restaurant uh, on Saint Laurent. His daughter Lorca used to work there. Lorca Cohen worked there. So I, I, and she probably, if she ever listens to this, she probably won't remember me. But this is years ago, and I had my young, mm-hmm. my theater company, my independent theater company, there at this vegetarian restaurant. And uh, so I sort of knew Leonard through through Lorca briefly, um, and uh, and then. When I did my Leonard Cohen, when I did, sorry, when I did my Irving Layton film, at CBC used to have a strand called Life and Times, which was this documentary profile series. We promised them that we'd get Leonard Cohen for it because uh, Irving Layton was Leonard Cohen's mentor. We promised CBC. Of course, it never worked out. We, we made the film and we didn't have Leonard Cohen in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's, in 2010, when I produced a film called uh, Leading the Fold, there was a well-known folk singer who was in the film who, uh, who left the fold. 
and was in that film. This was the film and, about Jewish Orthodox Jews. Yes, who left who left Orthodox Jews. Jews. Directed by Eric Scott that I produced with Fred Leaving, Fred Bobot. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, Leonard, the woman who was in the film, who was a musician who had left Orthodoxy, Leonard Cohen was a big fan of her music. So when she came from, from New York to Montreal to perform, he was there. I didn't end up going. Fred went that night. Leonard was there at this small little hole in the ground, in mm. the hole in the wall, sorry, in, in uh, the plateau. And he was there. I didn't miss that. And then, of course, I made uh, I made my film in 2019 or whatever about uh, people's soundtrack about cantorial music and Gideon yeah. Zellermeyer, who, who won a... Uh, who won a, an Emmy? Was it not an Emmy? It's a, a Grammy. Ian the uh, the the cantor, the singer from um, Shar Hashomayim Synagogue in, Mon- in Montreal, in Westmount. Yeah, Westmount. won a Grammy for for singing uh, on one of his songs on you want on you want on uh, Hineni on you want a darker one Leonard Cohen Leonard songs. Yeah, one of, on one of Leonard Cohen's songs. Okay, um, which made it which propelled Gideon as well, uh, and I I explored that relationship of, of a little bit with cantorial music and on, on Leonard's album, so it's all been okay. kind of this, this separation. The, yeah, the windy story. Yeah, um, very, 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 very windy. I didn't meet him in a airport in a, with your iPod. Airport. No, I just missed him on like eight occasions. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a um, good. Uh, sorry. It's, no, that's good. It's a uh, it's it's an interesting glimpse into your life also as a filmmaker to an era that is uh, that you you don't talk about much. Yeah, I, I have to. I have to go into therapy if I uh, spend lots of time talking about this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but it was. Uh, I would have loved to have met him. I thought when we were doing the Leonard, the uh, Irving Layton film, the Life and Times of Irving Layton years ago. Was I Irving Layton? Sure. Irving Layton was a uh, was a well known Canadian poet, like a very okay. big Canadian poet. Taught at Concordia. And this is the film life. that you did with somebody. I did a film with in my first company, Diversus. Right. Uh, my very first do- company it was a very early documentary that I produced. What year is that uh, one? I don't know. It was directed by Donald Winkler, who's a very well known. Nineties, I guess. Nineties, two thousands. No, two thousands. Two thousands. Yeah, early two thousands. Probably maybe a little bit after around Ezra's early films. Uh, Donald Winkler, who's a renowned uh, uh, translator, mm-hmm. a book translator, uh, directed that film at the time, and uh, we were, like I said, hoping that Leonard would be in it. It didn't happen, but it was a very well received film at the time on on the life of uh, Irving Layton. Cool. All right. All right. Sorry. Should we close off the podcast? Should we say yeah, like I, I, a... I hijacked it there a little bit? I no, apologize. that's all right. Should we keep that stuff in? You think? No, for our listeners, they can. You can keep it in for. for I'll think. I'll or... think about it. I'll you think, think about, about it. it. We'll think yeah. about whether we're going to leave it in. Anyway, dear listeners, yeah. if you have been with us this far, uh, thanks for sticking with us. I think there was a lot of in that interview with Ezra. There was a lot of surprising and uh, interesting and encouraging stuff that uh, I found really encouraging. I don't know about you, Evan. Yes, agreed. So uh, let's continue to make art. Let's continue to build relationships. Don't be afraid to um, add people to your contacts and write press in the notes field so that you can find them later. And um, let's not be lazy filmmakers. Let's not be lazy filmmakers. Mm -hmm.